The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning, Park Church. All right, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Um, This morning, uh, we're excited to kind of continue in our mission series. We're going to pray for a moment. Uh, This this series that we've been in, and in particular this message today, there are things that have been kind of like ruminating in my heart. God's been doing things in my own heart around the things we're talking about today. We just had a prayer time this morning with a number of people that came um, just to devote ourselves to prayer for the sake of this church family and this city and God's mission, and just even things that God was doing in the prayer service that's shifting a little of my focus today. Um, But as we do that, I want to say that God is with us, and God wants to speak to you. We're not trying to go through a service here. We're not trying to kind of impress anybody. We're not trying to pull off a cool show. Uh, We are here to meet with the living God. Uh, We are here to engage with him, to worship him because he's worthy, because he created everything, because his son Jesus laid his life down on the cross for us. We want to worship him. We also want to listen to him, let him speak to us and bring transformation into our lives. And so in order to do that, kind of attentive to his presence, we're just going to pause for a moment, uh, just a a few seconds of silence, and then we're going to ask him to work in our hearts. So would you join me as we calm our hearts before the God who is here right now? And Father, would you right now, by the power of your spirit, um, would you calm our hearts? Would you take the frenetic um, pace of our lives and our thoughts and our distractions and would you speak peace over them so we could this morning uh, not just engage in a service, but that we could hear your voice. Friends, God is with us. And he's with you right now. He's with me. And he wants to work in your heart. He wants to speak to your heart. And so, Father, would you powerfully soften our hearts? Um, Even as we were praying this morning, Joel just reminding us, Jesus is saying, Behold, I'm standing at the door and knocking. You want us to be attentive to your presence, to open our hearts up to your presence, to not persist in our resistance to uh, what you want to do in our lives. And so would you help us? Because we are weak, we are fickle, we are scared at times. I'm so scared at times to let you in, to let you truly speak, and to really surrender to what you might want to do in my life. And so would you give us the strength today to surrender our hearts, to open our hearts to your presence and to your word, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. When I uh, 
when I show you this stapler, what do you think of? Office space. Office space. Good. Uh, good. This is a, a red swing line stapler, and it sits on my desk every day because somebody gave it to me and tucked me in an office. And, uh, and so, no, it sits on my desk every day, and I think about it pretty often. Office Space is one of those movies, came out in 99. I loved it. I loved the movie because it's sort of like my aspiration in life was to live life like Peter, just kind of like not caring about anything. That's what I wanted to do. It's who I wanted to be. But the, the movie's a really interesting movie because um, it's actually a movie that's kind of highlighting... Uh, what many people experience as the sort of like drudgery of day-to-day, seemingly meaningless work. Um, Mike Judge is the director uh, of that, and uh, it's interesting that kind of the inspiration behind the movie Office Space was a job that he had uh, where he had to alphabetize purchase orders eight hours a day for two or three weeks, uh, kind of like alone in this uh, context. And it was, he said, the most miserable thing he had experienced, really painful. And that just sort of like helped him even identify with so many people that are going to work day in, day out, and feeling a relative meaninglessness of what they were doing. Now, so many occupations and workplaces have responded to the call of office space and cared about helping people understand meaning. Uh, we've listened to office space. We talk about faith and work because of office space. No, uh, because God cares about your work. And yet so many of us, go through life like very disconnected from what we do. I think of the interview in office space with Bob where these consultants that are figuring out who they're going to lay off ask, ask Bob, what would you say you uh, do here? Uh, and it's really hard for Bob to kind of articulate like what he's doing and why it matters. In fact, that's sort of the theme that's stretched throughout all of the different characters in the story is these kind of like seeming like meaninglessness or their lack of connection to the actual value of what they do and it leads them to this like place of despair they hate their job they hate their printers they hate their employers they hate the building they hate it all they hate the tps reports they hate it and they all kind of want the place to burn and it eventually does that's a spoiler in case you've never seen it um but you've had plenty of opportunity to see it uh, but you should see it anyways that's office space this sort of like meaninglessness of what they're doing. No connection of what they're doing to value or purpose. And I think on the other hand, I think of uh, kind of SpaceX. Elon Musk is sort of the, the king of this idea of what they call mission to metrics. Mission to metrics, which is helping every employee connect the, the work that they're doing to the big picture of their mission, what they're actually wanting to accomplish. Uh, there's one kind of a business consultant, investor, uh, that wrote a blog post about uh, SpaceX, and here's what he said. So one of the best examples of mission to metrics alignment comes from a friend who visited the manufacturing floor at SpaceX. Seeing a SpaceX employee assembling a large part, he stopped to ask him, what's your job at SpaceX? In other words, what would you say you do here? And here's what he answered. He said, well, the mission of SpaceX is to colonize Mars. In order to colonize Mars, we need to build reusable rockets because it will otherwise be unaffordable for humans to travel to Mars and back. My job is to help design the steering system that enables our rockets to land back on Earth. You'll know I've succeeded if our rockets land on our platform in the Atlantic Ocean after launch. The employee, he says, could have simply said he was building a steering system for landing rockets. Instead, he recited the company's entire mission to metrics framework. That's alignment. 
He understood that what he was doing day in and day out as he was working with math and working with design and working with different teams, he understood that what he was doing was contributing to a bigger piece of creating the steering system. And what that steering system was doing was creating to a bigger piece, contributing to a bigger piece of allowing these reusable rockets to land on Earth because if they can't successfully land on Earth, you can't reuse them. And that was leading them to have a financially affordable way to kind of continue to send rockets back to space, to space and back so they could actually accomplish this mission of colonizing or bringing human beings to Mars. And I think that's a powerful um, image, a sort of like disparity between the sort of office space mentality and the SpaceX mentality as we think about what does it mean to be a Christian? What would you say you're doing here today? What would you say you're doing here? I don't know. I'm, you know, going to hear the Bible and I'm meeting people, um, you know, like you're working on it. And I think many Christians kind of approach Christianity with no real sense of what the whole point is, what the big picture is, what this is all about. When the whole story of the Bible isn't this sort of like collection of commands that we're supposed to listen to and just obey this sort of kind of disconnected commands in this sort of like chaotic environment where we generally believe these things about God, maybe even Jesus, maybe even the Jesus of the Bible, and we believe those things and it has something to do with heaven when we die, and it has something to do with like being involved in the church, but this sort of connection to every fabric of what we do and why it all matters and where it's all going, most of us engage in Christianity disconnected from those realities. And by living our lives and in particular, working out our identity as the family of God, disconnected from the big picture, we actually begin to experience frustration, disengagement, cynicism, skepticism, complacency. And then we hear sermons or we hear messages or we hear people talking about different things that might seem like, oh, I should do that and I should do that. But it's all situated in this sort of ought to, not this robust vision for what God's doing in the world and why your presence here today matters. Why 20 people gathered this morning to pray why that matters. Why what you do tonight, what you do at work tomorrow, why, why, why you engage or how you engage with your family or your roommates or your coworkers, why it all matters. What would you say you do here? That's what I want to talk about today and, and really at a, a core element. That's what Matthew 28 is speaking to. Jesus is giving us the mission. He's giving us the, the big picture mission. And we kind of like frame it down. You kind of like hone it into this phrase of make disciples. As we say, what's our mission as a church? Our mission as a church, we exist as a church to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God, the joy of all people. You're like, yes. What does that mean? If I asked many of you, if I just took a sampling, just real quick, hey, raise it, what would you say that means? And just ask some of you. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do that. But if I did, my guess is I'd get all sorts of different answers. Some of you that say, I'm not sure. Some of you that would say something based on, like, I don't know, classes about following Jesus, learning to read our Bible, making, you know, new Christians. What's it all about? Um, really, the whole Bible story is about what God is doing to flood the earth with his presence and his glory. The whole story of the Bible from the Genesis 1 and 2, where there's like this design of creation, God with his presence among a people his authority, his king, his reignship, like or his kingship, his reign over a people in this flourishing world. And you get to the end of the whole story, Revelation 21 and 22, the other side of the story, and we're back there again. 
But now it's not just Adam and Eve in the garden and a little kind of like situated geographical garden. Now the whole world is flooded with the glory of God, like the waters cover the sea. Now there are multitudes from every nation, every tribe, every language that are now living in the presence of God, submitted to the reign of God, reflecting his glory to one another, working and loving and serving and enjoying creation and enjoying the presence of God and trusting in the reign of God. And it's beautiful. And the whole story is what happened at the beginning to make it all get to this place of pain, distance, separation from God, brokenness in our relationships, brokenness in our world, brokenness in our hearts. Like what led to that kind of brokenness and what's God doing to bring it all back to this beautiful picture of all things made new, all things restored. And this mission that we have, that you have as a human being, matters. It really, really matters. Your presence today here matters. And it's a beautiful thing that Jesus is going to be teaching to us and teaching uh, to his followers in Matthew 28. And I want to just kind of hone in on it. Um, If you will, keep your Bible open to Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to kind of unpack a couple pieces, but really I'm just going to just focus in on some things that have been heavy on my heart with respect to this understanding of what it means to be disciples, what it means to make disciples. And so as Jesus has risen from the dead, he's now appearing to his disciples. Last week we looked at the words that he gave right before he ascended to heaven and how the people of God were devoted to prayer. They're begging God for his presence and his power. And it's in this passage in Matthew 28, which is right connected to that passage in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus gives specifics about his mission. And I love the kind of context, um, starting in verse 16, where we talk about these 11 disciples who have just heard about Jesus. He's risen from the dead. They've heard that. They've interacted with him a little bit. They're waiting for him. He's teaching them. And he calls them to this mountain in Galilee. And then he appears to them. And I love this phrase in verse 17. I want you to actually imagine it. Um, you've been following Jesus. He died on a cross. You were devastated. Everything you thought your life was adding up to, everything you thought was going to happen has now gone into the trash. And then you hear that he's risen from the dead. Now you've seen him. You've interacted with him. You're a little bit confused maybe. And Jesus says to you, this risen Jesus says, I want you to meet me on a mountain and I have some things I want to tell you before I leave before I leave. And after I leave, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. But it's really important for you to understand what your role is, what your purpose is, and what I want you to be all about while I'm away and my spirit is with you. And so just even if it helps you close your eyes, you go up onto this mountain, you have a group of friends, and you're up on the mountain, you're waiting for Jesus, and Jesus shows up. He's the risen Jesus. And here's what the phrase says. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Of the 11. Some worshipped, some doubted, or, or they worshipped and some of them doubted. So as you imagine, all right, I'm sitting here on a Sunday morning in 2019, and Jesus, through the word of God, I've learned that he's risen from the dead, and he has a mission for my life. Like, where are you in this spectrum of worshiping him, maybe conflicted, maybe doubting, maybe total disbelief, just to identify, like, where am I? Like, all in, I trust him, I want to listen to him, I want to follow him, I'm doubting, confused, I'm not sure, I have my doubts, or no, 
I don't believe that right now. Where are you in this theme? And into this sort of like diverse group of like faith group, Jesus speaks these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is going back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was with the Father in the beginning. It is through the word of Jesus, through Jesus, that the heavens and the earth were created. And Jesus says, as the risen Christ, I am the king of everything. I am the king of everything. I have power and the right to use that power. That's what authority is. It's having the right to use certain power. And he says, I have all authority. And then he gives this mission, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Feel the cosmic sweep of what he's saying. I have all authority, and I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples of all nations, not just Israel, not just Jerusalem. I want my kingship. I want my reign. I want my kingdom. My purpose is that all nations will be flooded with the awareness of my reign and my presence. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, the people from every nation, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, and look, and pay attention, and do not miss this, he's saying, and behold, I am with you. Always. In the Greek, it's all the days. Every day, I'm with you. All the way to the end of the age. There's not a day where I won't be with my people as they fulfill and carry out my mission. There's not a day, there's not a moment, there's not a Sunday in August of 2019 where Jesus is not with us. Which What that means is he is right now with you. That's awesome. Christ is with us. God is with us now, not just theologically, not just sort of like invisibly. He is invisible, but he is actually presently, personally with us, with you, in you, if you're a follower of Jesus. And that means something for our lives. It has to. When we live our lives as if he wasn't with us, or if we engage in Christianity as if it's just something to be considered in a book, read some things about the book and just live my life without him, we've missed the point. The whole point is the presence of God with us. And Jesus says, I'm already there. I'm already with you. It's interesting because he says he's going to ascend to heaven and, and shortly after this moment, he will ascend, which is like, hey, I thought, I thought you said you were going to be with us every day until the end of the age. And then you like went up in a cloud into the heavenly realm. So what about that promise? And Jesus was really clear about that promise. That he says, my spirit I will give to you. I will send you my spirit. And it will be better than my physical presence because I can be next to you. I can talk to you. But my spirit can dwell within you. You can actually make your home in the spirit. You can walk in the spirit. You can dwell in the spirit. You can live in step with the spirit. My presence can actually be personally, powerfully, daily with you. 
It's awesome. Right now. God is with us right now. God is right now like whispering into your heart, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Like at the door, here. It's like, but open our heart. Like open up the door of your heart. God is with you. And this is the point of it all. It really is the point of all. It's Genesis 1 and 2, the presence of God and the reign of God. It's Revelation 21 and 22, the restored cosmic, global, universal presence of God and reign of God. And it is happening through Christ right now, bringing people into relationship with him, making his home in us and with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Not the partial God, not the kind of secondary God, not the kind of God, the Holy Trinity God, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, the Spirit dwells in us and communicates to us the love of the Father and the presence of the Son every day until the end of the age. If we'll listen. And this is what I want us to pay attention to for, for a moment. I think it's powerful that the whole framing of the passage is around authority, the absolute authority, authority of Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth has given me. And on the other side of the commission, of the mission he gives the church, is that I'm with you always. So authority and presence. His reign, that like my word, my reign, my way of life leads to flourishing. Trust my word, submit to my word, follow my way, follow my instructions, and you'll experience life the way it was made to be, the way I created it to be. My authority is good, and my presence, like I'm with you and I love you, my covenantal, loving, intimate, personal presence, I'm with you. And that's the framing of the commission, and guess what the commission is all about? Helping people get that. Make disciples, he says. That's the imperative. As you go, it's really kind of like we've, we've taken that phrase, and I think going is really great. You know, there are many people that have said, in our current day and age, especially in a post-Christian city like Denver, Colorado, the sort of like, as you stay, make disciples of all nations. Like sometimes there's this like, and it's totally legitimate, I get it, like to move back to the Midwest where your family is and the houses are cheaper and it's great. Like that, like... I get, I, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. I'm not trying to knock on that. I get it. I get it. But the go isn't the command. The command is make disciples. It's actually grammatically a participle. As you go, as you're going, as you're living life, as you're doing life in this world, make disciples. So what does that mean? Well, he, he explains exactly what it means with two more participles. Baptizing and teaching. Okay. Make disciples. What does that mean? By what means, Jesus? How are we supposed to do that? Well, here's how you do it. Baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it's like, all right, we're actually going to be baptizing some people during the 11 o'clock service today. What does that mean? Why does that matter? Is that just like a little like religious rites to like, uh, you know, it is a religious rite, but what does it mean? It's all about entering into union with Jesus. It's about entering into communion with Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's about actually being reconciled to God through faith in Christ. It's about receiving the presence of God into your life as somebody who is currently, if you've resisted Jesus or rejected Jesus, separated from his presence. So you're building your life. You're trying to make life work in your life, in your family, in your city, in your job, apart from the presence of God, and it will not work. 
And we spin our wheels and we try as societies and civilization after civilization grow and build and then crumble just like Babel from the beginning of time. We have these recapitulations of the Tower of Babel over and over again. Build a society to make our name great, to be great and do it without God. And then God scatters and breaks it down. And every civilization throughout all of history has always gone through that cycle. And every human being throughout all of history has gone through that cycle, whether building their life on religious foundations, trying to make their name great through religion, building their life on irreligious foundations, trying to just suck everything they can out of God's world. And we build and we build and we build and then it gets broken down. And in the breaking down, God is saying, come to me. Aren't you weary? Aren't you burdened trying to make life work apart from my presence? Come to me. I will give you rest. I'll give your soul rest. I'll make my home in you. This is what we were made for. And baptism is about entering into that relationship. Baptism is about saying, I'm done trying to build my own life, my own way. I'm done resisting your reign and your presence, your authority and your presence. I'm turning to you. I don't have it together. I'm a wreck. My life is so messed up. And I'm coming to you. And when we come to him, Jesus says, when you come to me, all of your brokenness is mine. I'm taking responsibility for all of it. All the sin, all the shame, all the fear, all the insecurity, I'm taking it upon myself. And I laid my life down on the cross. And that's what baptism symbolizes as you go under the waters. That your kind of descent into the waters is in union with Jesus' descent into the grave. That he died for you. And as you come up out of the waters, it's in union with Jesus' resurrection, saying your life is with him. You're going to live with him and follow him by his power and with his presence. And baptism is about his presence. It's about entering into his presence. Not just a public proclamation, though it is, but it's about the presence of God. And part of what it means to be a disciple, and this is where I feel so challenged personally, is learning to enjoy his presence. Versus like, that's done, so he, I'm unconditionally loved. Theoretically, theologically, I'm unconditionally loved, but I'm living my life as if I'm still trying to earn something and deserve something and actually learning what Pete Scazzaro says to slow down for loving union. To just like, like slow down enough to remember that God is with me and that God loves me. I quoted a few weeks ago Ronald Rollheiser who said, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. That we don't slow down as human beings enough to remember the presence of God and the love of God. And this has been huge for me. Over the past three years, this is like what God's doing in my life. And I have resisted and I resist. It is so hard for me to slow down. I told somebody, I, I have these like spiritual epiphanies at times, like these like meaningful moments with Jesus in the, in the shower. That's TMI, I get it. Um, but I was like thinking about why did, why, like, what's magical about the shower and this time with Jesus? It's the only time I slow down. It's the only time I slow down. I wake up and I get busy and I'm going, even like Bible study is like busy thinking, how am I going to talk about this and how am I going to, you know, it's like, like, why is it that for so long, it's like the only time I slow down is that I even got to this point where I had these waterproof headphones. I'm listening to audiobooks in the shower. Like, and like, this is, I'm pathological, okay? Like, this is, I like, but I think you might be also, for the record. Um, but I like, 
busy and busy. I like, you know, watch TV at night and then I'm listening to an audiobook until I'm so exhausted that I can turn the audiobook off and just like fall asleep and then wake up and get back at it. And like, do you think, do you think there's like satanic involvement in a culture that's so busy that we can't pay attention to the presence of God? You have, that has to mean something though. It has to mean to actually grow as disciples. We learn to slow down enough to pay attention to the presence of God and the love of God. And I'm telling you, like I'm telling you that when I, just like this is over the past couple months, just like create, we talked about this at the men's retreat, just creating these little moments in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, short moments of just silence and solitude, which, which now when you talk about it, it feels like Buddhist or something, when it's like been a core practice of Christianity throughout the ages or Sabbath, well, that wasn't ever repeated by Jesus in the New Testament. Why are we working so hard to make Sabbath not something we need to do? It is core. We're going to talk about these things this fall because it's really huge in Exodus. But what does it mean to slow down enough daily, weekly, in life to enjoy and to be attentive to and open to the presence and the love of God? That's needed to mean some things about some changes in my life. Not so I can do the next Christian thing and become a better Christian, but because I was made to enjoy the presence of God, to be united to Jesus, to experience a union with Christ. You were made for it. And it's in the foundation of that union, it's in the foundation of that love, that rested soul, that peaceful presence, in the midst of this anxious world, have peaceful presence. God is with me. The Spirit is with me. I'm going to walk in awareness to the Spirit. And you know what that creates? That's what Paul says it creates. It creates love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Not because you tried hard, because you've slowed down to be attentive to the Spirit, to walk and step with the Holy Spirit who's with you. And it's in that peaceful place that we then enter into this progressive learning. And I love how it's like we're baptizing people, which is a one-time event, but you're growing in your awareness of the impact of his presence and his love. And then we're teaching people progressively to obey everything he commanded, to observe or to live in line with, to actually orient our lives, to order our lives around his reign. That your reign is good, and I'm learning just like the Garden of Eden, they rejected the reign of God, they rejected his authority over life, so they're expelled from his presence. So making disciples is helping people through Jesus be reconciled to his presence and learn to come back under his reign. So this is a progress. It's, it's progressive and it's training. It takes practice and it takes actually giving effort to like, all right, what does it mean to like trust in the teachings of Jesus and look at his life and his way and the way he had these counterintuitive, countercultural principles like forgiveness and meekness and humility and service and sacrificial love. The way he thought about community and family and hospitality and justice. But like we're learning these things as we go all in the context of the loving presence of God all in the context of this covenantal relationship with God. And so what we're doing as a church is trying to help people who are in relationship with God follow Jesus, walk with Jesus, live with Jesus, enjoy the presence of Jesus, enjoy the love of Jesus, and learn more about the way of Jesus, his instructions for life, his guidance, his authority, and to come under that as something that's good and leads to your flourishing. 
And when more and more people are reconciled to Jesus and more and more people are enjoying the presence of Jesus and more and more people are submitted to the reign of Jesus, then it's no surprise that at the end of the story, the world is flooded with that. It's flooded with that. Flooded with people that have been reconciled to the presence of God, submitted to his reign. So when Jesus comes again and makes all things new, there's a people that are hungry for his presence, love his presence, love his reign, love his kingdom and live in the light of those realities for all eternity. That's what we're aimed at. And we're going to talk a lot about what that means, because in my life, I've struggled so much to say, practically, how do I cultivate these things? I can learn, and I can do. I know how to learn, and I know how to do. I can read books and listen to things, and I can, like, change behaviors. It's like there's something still missing. What does it mean to actually enjoy the presence of God? What does it mean to live your life attentive to his presence, not theological, not merely theological presence, but actual presence, what leads to even an emotional freedom. Talk about the blood of Jesus cleansing us from sin, we're forgiven. That's not just a theological reality. That actually means like you can go to Jesus honest about your fears. Because of Jesus, you can actually face your shames, the, the shame that we like, the bur burdens and the fears and the shames that we tuck away because we can't deal with them, because we can't like face those in our own life. Because of the love of Jesus and the presence of Jesus, we can just like bring those up to him and experience freedom and peace and forgiveness and healing. That actually leads to real transformation. And it's in the light of those things that we learn and we continue to learn. It's just a much sweeter, more restful, in the words of Jesus, this yoke, this way of life is easy. Like it doesn't feel easy to me, it feels burdensome. Maybe it's because we're not slowing down to enjoy his presence. We've taken this yoke of righteousness and we're trying to bear it on our own. And he says, no, 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 take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, walk with me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And you'll find rest for your soul. So we want to help our church grow in these things. And this is what we're going to be paying attention to really over this fall. We're going to talk more about things like spiritual practices. We're going to talk more about what does it mean to slow down for a time of silence and solitude and prayer. What does Sabbath mean and why is it so important in our frenetic, frenzied, pathologically busy culture to create spaces, to pause, to be still, to be attentive to the presence of God, the love of God. And what that does as we enjoy the presence of God, as we actually begin to experience the life we were made for. We're made to be people that aren't building our little towers of Babel, but made to be people that are walking with Jesus, learning his way, trusting his way, enjoying his presence, resting in his love, and spreading that joy, spreading that hope, spreading that healing, spreading that presence everywhere he calls us to go. This is our mission as a church, and these are the things we're going to be talking about even over the next few weeks. But let's take a minute right now and pray. Um, and I, I want to say this, like, let's pray that God would do something significant in our lives individually, in your life, but also in our culture. So even right now, I want you to calm your heart. And like, if, if Jesus was knocking right now, Would you let him in? Like, will you right now say, Jesus, I want, I want you, I want you in my heart. Maybe you're a Christian and you've been following Jesus and you've pushed him out of certain places of life or just not even maybe some like super dark place, but maybe it's just the frenetic, busy, fast-paced buzz of your life. 
you just haven't like stopped to say, I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I have never known him. I've called myself a Christian. Or maybe I haven't. But maybe you're here, let me just like, I've called myself a Christian, but I've never walked with Jesus. I've never truly followed Jesus. I've never oriented my life and opened myself up to his presence and his love and ordered my life around his reign. What would it look like right now to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my king. I want you to make your home in my heart. Take up residence in me. I want to rest in you. I want to follow you. I'm done going my way. I'm done trying to do this without you. Even religion without Jesus is oppressive. Maybe especially religion without Jesus is oppressive. And you felt that weight. Jesus says, come to me. All you who labor, all you who are weary and burdened down. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I've carried this burden for you. I've shed my blood for you. I rose again from the dead to give life to you. I come to me and you will find rest for your soul. And so Jesus, would you, right now, even in this moment, would you do powerful, powerful work? Spirit, would you would you work in power for those that have been wandering? Would you reorient their life? Would you call them, son, daughter, come home, come home, come home? Those that have totally rejected you, would you soften their heart? Those who are just weary, maybe have kind of like sat down on the journey, been maybe sitting down on a path of spiritual development, maybe been sitting down on that path for a decade or for 20 years or maybe six months. Do you strengthen their weak knees? Like lift them with your love. Breathe life into them again. Would you revive us again, Jesus, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.